Hey, welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden, your host. Glad you could join me. New year, time to take stock a little bit. I've been doing that uh, a lot lately, walking around on too much snow. Just kind of remembering all the great stuff that, uh, that I enjoy. And one of those things is the hundreds, yeah, hundreds of dogs that I've hunted with over the years. So we'll be covering that in, uh, in some detail. Uh, stories about some of the most memorable hunting dogs I've worked with, both on TV and then just for fun. But we'll also talk to you. We asked uh, recently, we, I, sorry about that. I asked recently on social media what your dog's favorite smell is. We know that. What about your own? Some of the answers might surprise you. Some of them, if you think about it, will be yours as well. And in our Handle It training segment today, you know you're a better door than a window. <laughs> I'll explain what I mean by that and how it affects your dog's performance. It's all coming up on the Upland Nation podcast. So glad you could join me. Yeah, we're made possible in part by Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, True Lock Choke Tubes, and FindBirdHuntingSpots.com. I mentioned walking on snow with a couple of my favorite dogs. Doing a lot of that this time of year. Maybe you too, if you're still going out. One of the spots we go to, I like to pretend to think that I know pretty well, but there's always more to explore. And uh, my buddy Tom, who joins me on a lot of these trips, uh, we are going down in large part to explore um, new spots to both of us. Turns out we ended up uh, snowed out of a lot of the new spots, but some of the somewhat old spots and then a few of the new spots were accessible, both uh, via foot and truck. So we were out there tromping around on the snow, uh, having a good time. Uh, lots of wild flushes. The birds are very skittish this time of year, chuckers and valley quail. And then one chance at Hungarian Partridge. Thank you, Jake, for sending us to that spot. I'll be back there again when there's a little less snow on the ground. Anyway, had a lot of fun. Uh, shot a bunch of valley quail. In fact, the funniest, uh, the the find of the day was maybe the last find. Uh, Flick and I had been chasing valley quail up and down this draw that had a creek that still had water in it in a lot of places. You know, one of those kind of lost rivers. It's got water up there, and you go downstream a little bit, and it's gone. And then it comes back a little bit further downstream. Uh, always fascinating and always a good place to kind of begin or end a hunt. Anyway, he um, he um, he flushed a, a small covey. Uh, I watched one of the singles drop down. They, they don't fly very far in this kind of weather. Um, so I watched him drop down into a little uh, willow patch along the creek bottom. I sent Flick in that general direction. He swung right back around, slammed a point. This willow patch is maybe four feet across, thick as all get out. He's in there. I'm in there. I'm trying to figure out how to get the bird out. I'm throwing rocks in. Every time the rock hits the willows, he shakes a little bit, but he's still steady, and I'm really admiring that. And uh, still nothing. Now, I can't get in there. It is It is thick. It is as bad as any cattail thicket you've ever been in in South Dakota. 
So I, um, I move around, try to do the same thing again, nothing. Uh, here comes Tom's dog. She's coming down the hill, and I'm thinking, well, maybe she'll push it out. So, uh, you know, it may be not the perfect uh, textbook example of how to work two dogs, but Flick is watching her out of the side of his eye, and I'm watching her come in. I encourage her a little bit while Flick trembles more in front of this thing. Finally, nothing. So I, I go over and I release him. He swings all the way around, hits a point on the opposite side. Then I realize, oh, yeah, no wonder. Yeah, this, the, the wind had changed. So he, he moves to the opposite side. I take one step forward after that. Up it goes. I'm halfway down in that creek bottom. So I got a shot that's at about eye level because the bird flips over the top, goes across this flat. I get a shot off and yahoo, Flick gets a retrieve. We're all happy and life is good again. Called it a day, poured a hot coffee, and headed for home. Took a long time. I'll tell you about that drive someday because it was fascinating, too. There was at least five species of animals that I've seldom seen. We passed them all along the way. That's a story for another day. But stories for today begin again with you. Um, I asked, um, again, what your favorite smell is on a hunt. Also confess that mine is probably damp earth. Yeah, just take a moment. But you also had some other great responses. Kim Wyman says it's gunpowder after seeing the bird fold. I, I think the order of that is perfect as well. David Johnson has uh, has a, his wire hair on uh, relaxing on the lawn at home, I'm sure, but there's two pheasant roosters in front of him. He says that with a hit of snow. Yeah, you know, snow is a fascinating smell. It's got, well, you know, they say in uh, in in the northern climes, the natives up there have, uh, you know, dozens of names for it. And, and I think it's based on this, the way it smells today. And today it smells really cold. It's six degrees. <laughs> anyway, Jerry Callway says, fall leaves with the morning frost while he's headed into the woods. It reminds me of past adventures. Brian Humphrey says, the barrel of my over-under on my shoulder after just firing on the bird that limited me out for the day. Yep. Richard Allen, I can relate to this sage after a rainstorm. I call that kind of a pastel smell. Miles Burdett is in my league. Winter decay down in the river bottoms, absolutely. Um, Sue Bookout, uh, sorry to hear that. I hope uh, from your note, it sounds like you got your sense of smell back after three years. Excellent. Yeah, I bet anything smells good after that. I just cannot imagine. Lance Larson, the smell of my dog when I give him or her a hug while hunting or training, unless they rolled in something. And David must have been on one of those hunts with Lance. David DeSmither says, the smell of deer guts on your hunting buddy's setter. <laughs> uh, Bruce Wondrak, yeah, isn't that the truth? Harvest, whether it's that cut corn smell on a warm day, or just the opposite, that kind of bite in the air when somebody's, uh, when you're like rattling through a, 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 an unharvested bean field, for example. And finally, Ralph Klimak says, sage in the morning dew. Absolutely. Thank you all. Those are all good. And you know, science tells us that smell 
is the best uh, reminder of past experiences. So take a moment and think back on that the next time you are wondering, uh, you know, whether you're going to get out again this season or not. It's the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden. We're made possible by Sage and Breaker gun care products, pointer shotguns, mid-valley clays, and shooting school, true lock choke tubes, and findbirdhuntingspots.com. Now, speaking of those folks, Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School is much more than that. They're an authorized dealer for Beretta, Blosser, Browning, Caesar Guarini, Krieghoff, Ritzini, Fabarm, Fair, and Siren. So if you're shopping for a gun, go to midvalleyclays.com, click on Shotguns, then scroll down and click on online store. Take a look at their entire inventory. And if you can't find it there, call them up, ask for Dave Fiedler, and tell him what you're looking for. He's got a connection at most of those folks and may be able to find something you can't find anywhere else. And truelockchokes.com is where you get the best choke tubes, well-engineered, great materials, and a satisfaction guarantee on every single choke tube. Lifetime warranty and some specials. So if you buy over 900, let's see, what is it? $99 and 90, spend a hundred bucks. You get a free case for all your choke tubes. Spend 120 bucks and you'll get free shipping on domestic orders. It's all available at truelockchokes.com and you spell truelock, T-R-U-L-O-C-K. Oh, so uh, here we are, and we are, um, you know, still celebrating the new year around here, and uh, looking back, you know, it is just like Old Lang Syne says, you know, the song, uh, you, you look back on old acquaintances such as it is, whatever you want to call it, and uh, and maybe um, recall some of the incredible things that have happened over the year. I'm looking back farther than that for a bunch of reasons, and I'll tell you about those as we get down deeper into the year. But um, I, you know, I have hunted with a lot of dogs. I've been making TV shows with dogs for oh, 15, 16, 7, 18 years now that I think about it. And, you know, 10 or 12 or 13 episodes a year, you add that up, and uh, that's a lot of dogs right there, and many of them are memorable um, in one way or another. And then my own dogs and my friends' dogs when we're hunting for fun, I thought it'd be kind of cool to uh, maybe just uh, reflect on some of them and, and how they did and uh, why they changed uh, the way I think about dogs and hunters and so let's just jump right in and, and, and recall some of that. And while I'm doing that, uh, start thinking about your own dogs and maybe how they have affected you over the years. The first one is probably the top one, and, and that is a dog named Duke. Now, Duke had a, an impact on me for a whole bunch of reasons. He, he was staring out at nothing from his kennel um, as I walked through it. One night while I was in Nebraska, uh, no, 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 I was in Montana. Duke was a very young short hair, maybe a year and a half old. He was what they called a started dog. He'd arrived at that lodge that day, called up from the miners when the lodge's star uh, 
pointer had torn an ACL. So here's a dog that had just shown up, and and I asked the owner, um, well, how's he hunting? He says, well, I'm told he's pretty good. He comes from a great kennel, and he's pretty well trained. I said, well, well, why don't we hunt with him in the morning and see what happens? And so the next day, Duke, um, in the face of strangers, TV cameras, and a whole bunch of wild Montana pheasants, um, did his job with what I can only describe as quiet dignity and um, and grace. Now, he was a short hair, and they're, they're kind of like that to begin with, a little bit stoic. But this guy had come from some incredible breeding, and um, and in fact, so much so that uh, when when I was done hunting with Duke that day, I made it uh, I made a New Year's resolution to go and hunt with some of his predecessors, his relatives, over at Pheasant Bonanza in Nebraska, which I did a couple of years later. Anyway, Duke uh, taught me a whole bunch of things. If we pay attention, maybe your dog, uh, my dog, all dogs can teach us. Um, this guy, um, every bird encounter he had uh, became a better example of how this guy was going to grow into an incredible bird dog. Uh, he, um, The first bird or two he pointed, he, he handled pretty well, but he was a little less steady. But can you blame him? There were TV cameras on the ground behind him, in front of him, around him, three people he didn't know for, you know, handling him. It was pretty tough. But he um, grew as the day went on, and I'll never forget how carefully he observed. You could just see him putting two and two together every time he had a bird contact, observing, reacting, watching our reaction to him, starting tentatively and then moving into a, a much more mature and um, uh, more finished dog. The last, the, you know, he did such a good job and he moved me in so many ways that in the last bird, um, he slammed a point. We both proceeded to, to flush that bird. Both of us missed. But luckily, I had a bird in my vest anyway because that dog deserved the reward that he got, which was uh, as he searched over uh, the skyline for the dead bird, I lobbed it a little bit off to the side and put a dead bird out there for him. So he did get his reward, and he sure deserved it. Good boy, Duke. Uh, Duke is now, by the way, that lodge manager's personal dog. He rides everywhere with him and is still delivering when they need, you know, that that uh, th that wise, gray-muzzled dog in the field. Now, Harry was just the opposite. His moniker was a play on words, H-A-R-R-Y, uh, you know, but he was a very fluffy wire hair. Beard, bushy coat, Groucho Marx eyebrows. Uh, he had what the French would call joie de vivre. He loved life and performed with gusto. May not have been the most polished dog, but he was all in. He was kind of the clown in the kennel, and we were out with him one day when the cameras were rolling, and he was into the sage for a down chucker that uh, one of us had hit by sheer, by, by, by sheer chance, I'm sure. He had a low spot on that uh, desert ground, executed a perfect somersault, got up, shook himself off, 
took a bow, and then continued on the retreat. That's on camera, by the way. So watch an early episode of Wing Shooting USA. You'll see Harry in action. He was like that kid in school. You know, you you all had one of a certain. If you're of a certain age, there was a kid with the funny hat and the rainbow suspenders. He may have been a little bit weird, but he certainly made you smile every day, probably at his expense. Now, I was hunting with a friend in, uh, uh, let's see, where were we? We were in uh, Wisconsin, yeah. Uh, and this friend had a very delicate short hair, a nice, pretty little girl. We were hunting uh, some of the grouse woods up there, all popple thicket, and it was blowing a gale. We'd lost track of the bell. This is my argument with bells. You can never hear them when you need them. But uh, she hadn't been that far from the tote road we were on, the old tote road. So so she'd point birds, and, and even if we couldn't find her, she'd hold those birds patiently, patiently. And maybe she was counting to 100. I don't know. But at some point, and we finally got to watch it once. Mike had seen it a lot more times. She'd back up out of that point, come and get us, and then slide back into that point. We finally started counting. Most of the times when we got back, the bird was still there, and we got a shot at it. Thank you so much, Mike, for sharing that with me last time I was out there. You know, there are some dogs whose gratitude is you know, it's boundless, and they give their all as as a form of thanking you for taking them hunting. You know, I've talked in the past about Cocker Spaniels who will get a running jump and land in their handler's arms as a way to just say, thanks, I'm so glad I'm getting to hunt with you guys. Well, you know, we've all seen them, whether they've been rescued from a shelter or a runt that was given away, an old guy past his prime. You know, they know. You, how they know, I don't know, but they know that you, you probably saved their life doing what you did for them. We've seen, I remember this one in particular. We were just talking about this one a few days ago. In fact, it was the uh, kind of the genesis for this, uh, this podcast. Ruger, he was a half short hair, half wire hair, and, uh, and the guide probably did save him from the shelter in a short, very miserable life. But now he'll walk on coals for that guy. One time he came out of a blackberry thicket, bloody and limping, but he had that valley quail in his mouth. He was scaling some steep volcanic slopes. These were the kind of stuff we, we hunt chuckers on, but there were quail up there too. But this time it was quail. I mean, chuckers. Um, his foot rolled out for under him, out from under him. You know, you know, even a dog trips once in a while. This was ugly. He hit that volcanic rock, the the lava rock, and, and just scraped his chest raw. But from the hiding place he was working on up there, he did find the chucker who had been shot. To get at it, he had to move these bowling ball-sized lava rocks, ripped a toenail, came back, received tender, loving care for every scratch and bruise he got from that owner, and... Got the day off the next day. Some of the B team got to hunt instead. Ruger, keep up the good work, man. 
I'm Scott Linden. This is the Upland Nation podcast. We are just kind of, I'm, I'm just kind of, you know, reminiscing, if you will, on some of the great dogs I've hunted with over the years, 18 years of TV uh, with dogs and, you know, 32 years of hunting for fun with dogs. So, uh, I don't know, you do the math. There's a lot of dogs, hundreds, if nothing else. Hopefully uh, your dog uh, makes the cut on one of these kind of stories. You probably got a whole bunch more just like them. I'll never forget one who was a, a pretty good judge of character. We were uh, making a TV show out in Kentucky on uh, Bob Whites. And, uh, and these pointers were, uh, I mean, they were the cream of the crop. They were covering ground like vacuum cleaners, standing Bob Whites for the guns, looking like a magazine cover photo every time they found birds. And while they were pointers, they still retrieved. Now, that's probably enough right there, but uh, there's more to it. In fact, maybe you can relate. You know how bad I shoot, especially on TV. Uh, I feel bad when dogs are forced to kind of search so hard for a bird that I might have hit, maybe lightly or not at all. I was um, turned around uh, talking to the camera about my lousy shooting, but I had thought ahead and through. This was not the first bird I'd missed or thought I'd missed. Um, so I threw my hat on the ground. You know that hat. Um, threw it on the ground to mark where I think we should start looking for that quail sh if I had actually hit it. So I'm apologizing for that, talking to the camera and all that. And um, and here comes that dog in the background photobombing my little soliloquy in front of the camera. One of my camera guys, Lynn, realized, hey, wait a minute, that's a little bit different. So he swings over and gets this. That dog had put up with enough of my misses to the point where, like I said, good judge of character, he found the hat first, lifted his leg, and basically told me what he thought of my bad shooting. <laughs> Street smarts, which maybe those are too, uh, aren't often condoned in the dog world, but I, I'm still a believer. I think dogs can think for themselves, at least I think. And rather than demand robot-like obedience or rote performance, I, I like to give a dog his head once in a while. Uh, nature's not perfect, nor are the challenges she poses for our dogs. Pheasants in standing corn, for example. Uh, even the most disciplined dog is going to be hard-pressed to stay staunch, uh, pointing where that ditch parrot used to be as it's skulking down, you know, one row over. In this case, this was a Brittany, and uh, it crept as it pointed, trying to get, you know, right at those birds, but not too close, kind of in four-wheel drive low. We'd find him a lot of times, swung around through the standing corn all the way to the end where he'd circled and pinned that dog, I mean that, that bird, that was totally and completely gobsmacked that the dog was in front of him now instead of behind him. Good dog. Now, Fiocchi, now that's a little bit different. Fiocchi may not have liked water retrieves anyway, but once we had gotten the bead on, pardon the pun, but we had we had been tracking a stinking ringneck in Kansas 
for 400 yards, I bet. And Fiocchi, the pointer in this case, had been tracking, creeping, stopping, pointing, tracking, creeping, stopping, pointing over and over without any any action from the bird except to farther skulk away. This dog was as frustrated as we were. And so when we hit the perimeter of a little pond in the middle of this prairie, the bird got up. Fiocchi, kind of flustered, watched as somebody shot it. It dropped right into the pond. Fiocchi had never set foot in a pond before in its life. And he did what any good self-respecting dog would do and swam for it. I don't think he was even, I don't even think he knew he was retrieving in water until he was halfway back with the bird in his mouth. Good boy, Fiocchi. And thanks, Ken, for sharing that hunt with me. That was so much fun. And the sun was out. You guys remember what that's like? <laughs> Well, we're, uh, we're about halfway through uh, some of the dogs that I've really learned a lot from uh, and enjoyed working with here on the Upland Nation podcast. So um, take a moment here and think about your own as I cover a little bit of commercial ground, including this special from sageandbreaker.com. You know, I talk a lot about lifetime warranties and the companies I work with because they offer warranties on their gear sageandbreaker.com is where you can learn more about the warranty and all the gear they have to take care of your guns cleaning storing transporting they've got a little bit of everything and it's all got that lifetime warranty watch for the new gear bag range bag whatever you want to call it it's coming soon if you're on the mailing list you'll get advance notice so um you'll have a good crack at it before it sells out and i can guarantee you from what i've seen it's going to be very popular. Learn more. Sign up for the mailing list at sageandbreaker.com. We got more in the new uh, dog training segment. Handle it coming up as well. Uh, you are a better do door than a window, so stand by for that. But... Welcome back as we are continuing our little, um, I guess I'll call it our little adventure, uh, down uh, through some of the fun things I've had happen to me, uh, thanks to some of the dogs I've worked with over the years on Wing Shooting USA, uh, what the dogs taught me. Um, let's see, what else have I, oh yeah, uh, Cast and Blast, and, and even before that, some of the guest shots I did for other people. But anyway... Uh, let's go to a mousy brown, slightly tubby griffon who, uh, if I haven't made it clear already, wasn't much to look at down in California, but, uh, he worked the cover methodically. I'm being diplomatic here, but when we came out of the field, we knew he'd found every pheasant in it. He was the kind of guy that uh, if he'd been a human and had opposable thumbs, he'd probably carry a lunchbox to work and, and he'd roll his furry sleeves up to do his job. 
Now, the thing that I enjoyed most about this guy is the kind of the muted pride he held. He was just a workman. You know, he'd never win a field trial. He'd never win a bench show or anything like that. But he would, he would deliver the birds to the gun. And then he would deliver the dead birds to the handler. It wasn't flashy. It wasn't glamorous. And he had one flaw, which I loved. And I let Flick do it now, too. This guy would take a victory lap in front of the cameras as if he was just reminding everybody Flash doesn't produce birds. Persistence does. Yeah. Good job. Thanks a lot, everybody down there for uh, for letting us come along on, on an incredible hunt. You know, he's not the only one. A lot of dogs mug for our cameras, uh, but it's... Um, it's it's sometimes a little bit more fundamental than that. It, uh, yeah, I've, I've mentioned one of my camera operators, Lynn Berlin, a lot because Lynn is the guy who gets most of the great dog shots. If you enjoy the show uh, for the dog shots and we work hard at it, Lynn's the one who gets all the credit. And um, while he's not a dog, all the dogs that he works with um, have one thing in common. Uh, we shoot a bird, dog goes out, dog brings the bird back to the handler. While the dog is going out, Lynn is getting in a spot so he can get a really good close shot of that bird being handed off to the human when it arrives. There's something about a camera lens that attracts a dog better than their owner's hand. So quite often at full tilt boogie, they're coming back. They see that camera lens. Lynn is on the ground taking that picture when they deliver it right to the lens. That's about when Lynn does one of those ass over tea kettle rolls. And once in a while, it even gets in to the episode. Thank you. Thank you, Lynn, for putting up with me. Uh, you know, sometimes it's not even the dog. It's the owner. I got to hunt with uh, Mike Rounds, who at the time was the governor of South Dakota, at his uh, invitational pheasant hunt. Uh, there were eight of us on the team, and it was a lot of fun uh, for a bunch of reasons. One of the other members of the team was the extraordinary and plenipotentiary ambassador to ambassador to the United States from the um, uh, from uh, Iraq. Uh, and a few other big shots of various sorts, including a certain cable television news mogul. Uh, you know who I'm talking about, probably. We were the designated blockers during a day that was, it, it was hot. It was dry. It was early, uh, you know, early in the season. Uh, nobody was finding birds, but, but I saw one drop into a uh, a field, and and I'd been watching the dynamic between the um, Labrador Blackie and his cable TV mogul owner for quite a while. Blackie and he hadn't seen each other for a while. They were pretty happy to see each other, and um, and both were just you know inseparable after that. But Blackie hadn't seen that bird, and Ted Turner and I were killing time at the end of the row waiting. When it dropped into that um, that cattail thicket uh, over behind everybody else, well, I thought let's let's just make make Blackie's day and and see what happens. So 
So I, I went over and tugged at Ted's coat and said, hey, man, let's, let's just explore this while we're waiting over here. When we got to that spot, um, the dog's tail started uh, helicoptering in that classic Labrador style. And uh, the, the dog's owner got pretty happy, too. He didn't have a tail, but everything else about him was wiggling. Uh, we never shot that bird, but the dog got a big kick out of, uh, you know, working hard for his owner. And that was the first time they had actually worked together that whole season. So, it, it, you know, it was, it was just cool and uh, enjoy. Oh, wait a minute. There it is. Yeah, he's on it, and he's pushing through that thick stuff. Slash, trip, rip, slip, boom. Yeah, you know the feeling. Imagine that feeling times 10 if you hadn't seen your dog in six weeks. Glad to have helped, Ted. And then there was that little setter in California. She was, you know, 35 pounds at the most pretty high strung but she would slam a scent cone and then freeze she trembled just a little bit never be a trial dog because she streaked away at every flush so she was steady to i don't know what <laughs> steady to, to nothing um, but she was about the most honest and earnest dog i've ever met she was so psyched about birds that she couldn't wait to get back. And, you know, I've talked, you know, we, we all know that, the, you know, the best reward for a bird dog is more birds. She, she figured that out. She taught me that, I think. Because when she would bring a bird back, she wouldn't even slow down. She'd kind of lob it at the handler as she raced past, did a U-turn, and went back out into the field again. But at the end of the day, you know, she knows what she is. We knew what she was. Uh, we were happy for her happiness. And um, she would sleep the sleep of the righteous. No dog could have given more. She left everything on the field, as they say. You know, this is, a, you know, it doesn't matter how good, bad, young, old, ugly, or pretty your dog is. That wordless, visceral connection you have that I've described a couple times already today, it's like nothing else. We are doing a well-rehearsed choreography. And that is the coolest part about owning dogs and working with dogs. We can sometimes connect at the same wavelength. One more story. This is a 13-year-old wire-haired pointing Griffon that I swear somewhere under that wiry coat had a switch. She could reach it because at times she was kind of a brigadier general motivating and mobilizing all the other doggy troops on the ground. Yeah, we were hunting with a pack. She would always put us in the right place at the right time. Now, I don't know if she'd practice that. It was bird sense. Uh, she's just a good hostess. I just don't understand how the cameras were always in the right place. The shooters got the clearest shots. Somehow, we knew when to close our guns and get ready for the shot. Then she'd tap that switch, and we all knew we could breeze 
breathe easier, uh, slow down, or even take a drink of water. Because she was off, we were off. Anyway, I learned a lot from her as well. And what I really learned about her and all these other dogs I've talked about today is that they have a certain satisfaction with their lot in life. Most of them have figured out what they're supposed to do and decided, hey, that's a pretty good thing to do. They deliver their performance as best they can. And they seldom let our shortcomings get in the way. Take a moment. Think about your own dogs. They were born to do what you take them to do, and they're grateful for it, and we're grateful that we have them to work with. In other words, pay attention. Maybe we can learn something, too. There's my signal. Right on time. I'm Scott Linden. This is the Upland Nation podcast. we got a little bit more to talk about in here, including our new Handle It dog training segment. Yeah, you really are a better door than a window. I'll explain in a moment. First, a word from Pointer Shotguns. I mentioned earlier warranties. Well, here's another one of my co, you know, one of my sponsors. Pointer Shotguns come with a 7-year warranty. Ask the other guys how long they if they have a warranty, how long it is. It's one reason they are called a work of art at a price that's a thing of beauty. Learn more at PointerShotguns.com. Find a nearby retailer. Browse all the models. Know in advance that most of them are going to be available all the time. No once a year, twice a year ordering period for Pointer Shotguns. Retailers can get them any time of year. And believe me, I've been down there. They scramble to get those things out and into your hands. PointerShotguns.com. Learn more at PointerShotguns.com. Handle it. Well, I, I, I was reminded of this again on, on, a, uh, on, on a hunt I did just yesterday. We're lucky enough to have valley quail right there. I mean, right there. And this time of year, uh, they, know where the, they know where the best feed is. And my dog knows where the birds go for the best feed. So, uh, you know, we have something to do almost every afternoon. But once again, I was reminded uh, that unlike cats, curiosity probably won't kill your dog, but it could cause him to break on a flushing bird if he thinks he's squeezed out of the action. Now, here's what I mean by that. Think about this. Visualize this. Your dog hits a point. You can probably tell by the direction his nose is pointing that the bird is over there. So you march right in to try to get that bird in the air, right? And the dog says, hold it, and he breaks a point. Now, sometimes he breaks a point because you march in too close, and he's you know, that a little momentic behavior kicks in. He wants to walk alongside you. Other times, that's not what it is because you've learned to swing wide away from the dog and then move in on the bird. All right, that's great, and I, and I applaud you. The challenge becomes once the dog can't see where the bird was, is, will fly to because 
you're the door, not the window. So when you can, and it's just a matter of thinking about this ahead of time, swing wide, let the dog see where you're going, let the dog see where the bird is, where it will fly from, and where it will drop if you hit it. I can almost guarantee you he'll stay steady. We had three chances to try that yesterday, and every time I did it, he was steady. Well, there's your, what do they call that? Empirical evidence. Maybe it'll work for you too. I hope so. Good luck. It's a learning experience for everybody. Okay, we are made possible by Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Mid-Valley Clays, and True Lock Chokes, and the FindBirdHuntingSpots.com website. And that's my cue to thank you for listening to the Upland Nation podcast. Thank all of you who comment at the social media platforms, particularly those who leave ratings and reviews at your podcast uh, platforms. Yeah, it's all about helping you in one way or another. I learned something from everybody. So please spread the word. Keep up the good work. Be safe out there. And I'll see you down the road. I'm Scott Linden.